Welcome to another edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk. This is your host, Robert Johnson. Special edition this week, the Nike Prefontaine Classic is, of course, Friday and Saturday, and that's mainly what we're going to talk about. Joining us is Let's Run.com ace staff writer, Jonathan Galt, who will be on the plane momentarily. I guess it's actually tomorrow morning to Eugene. John, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Robert. Folks, we've heard the criticism from the fans. I, I put up a crowdsourced does anyone want to cover the meat for us? Prefontaine, the fans have demanded that John Galt be sent to Eugene. So I've upped, I've won a thousand dollars, folks. John, enjoy your trip. Weldon Johnson, my co-founder, is also on the line. Weldon, welcome to the show. Good to be here. I'm a bit jealous of John. The final, the final pre-classic at Hayward Field. Historic yes, Hayward the Field. Final pre-classic at Hayward Field, and folks, we're going to let you in on a little inside information. There's a lot of drama going on as to what's going to happen to Hayward. Are they going to tear down the East Grandstand? You know, the old timers, the some of the traditionalists want to keep it. Nike wants to build something new with Phil Knight's money, obviously. And folks, just to make it simple for someone, after it's all over, Jonathan is going to get a gas tank and just torch the East Grandstand. We won't have any <laughs> any drama. John, are you ready? For, are you up for the challenge? Well, wh- where are they going to hold NCAA's then? Oh, good point. Well, maybe we'll do it. I'll be out there at NCAs with you. So I will take the task on. We won't have to have debates and these dumb lawsuits. We don't want USATF moving the meat, the world's out, you know? So anyways, that's a joke. Not very, not a, not a very good one, but one whatsoever. Anyways, um, let's get right to the action. I mean, John, I feel like I know a lot about pre Fontaine's Friday night action. Cause you've written a great preview. I'm still waiting for Saturday's preview to come up so I can, feel a little bit right now i feel like the emperor with no clothes folks i'm being exposed live on the radio um without john's extensive previews i don't know so much but i'll I'll do my best to fake it but um so much going on i mean the men's 800 and two mile on friday are are worth the price of admission alone well the price of admission on fridays i know you can see those events for free so i mean but i'm saying they just had those are the only two events on saturday it would be well worth it those are free of charge on, on Friday night. And then Saturday, you have the, actually the full Diamond League meeting um, and more with the Bauer Mile, which isn't actually a Diamond League event. Um, so it's just going to be fantastic. But, John, what event are you most excited for? Is it one of the Friday night events? What, what has got you most excited for the Prefontaine Classic? Well, I think I was going to say the two-mile on Friday until about an hour ago when it came out that – Christian Coleman's actually doubling. He's doing the 100 and the 200. And when I heard that, I just got really, really excited because I was already excited to see him. He hasn't run an individual race outdoors this season. Um, And he was supposed to debut in the 100 against Justin Gatlin. So I was pretty pumped for that to see how fast Coleman could go because I know, you know, if you listen to sprint experts, the, the straightaway at Hayward Field is, you know, among the fastest in the world. Uh, but then it was just released. I get an email in my inbox saying Christian Coleman running the 200 at pre-classic. And I'm like, hmm, does that mean he's pulled out of the 100? No, uh, he is trying to do the double, folks. So 86 minutes in between the events. And then who is he getting to face in the 200 meters? Noah Lyles, who might just be the best 200 meter runner in the world right now. So I think it's not one event, but it's just the, it's the that double uh, men's sprint action is what I'm really excited to see. Can Coleman 
win both of them, how fast all Lyles go. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen there on Saturday. So, folks, don't accuse us of just being distance nerds. We love the entire sport of track and field. Let's sprint.com will be launching soon. I am serious. I have thought about launching some other homepages. Everyone needs their 15 seconds of fame. That's what Facebook is. So we should have a let's sprint, a let's throw. Some of those domains are taken, though, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the sprinting is is really, you know, obviously at a meet like pre is going to be fantastic. But one of the quite, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, sprint wise and, and sort of Coleman was so good last year. Lyle seems to be just amazing um, as well. But if you could take any sprinter for the next 10 years, like Usain Bolt is gone. I mean, that, that's the big theme for 2018. There's no more Bolt. I mean, he did lose last year, but track and field was all about Usain Bolt. And it just came out on ESPN this week. There's no track and field athlete ranked in the top 100 most recognizable athletes in the world with Bolt's departure. So the real question in 2018 is who's going to sort of take over for Bolt. Um, so, you know, for the next decade. So if you could be any sprinter for the next 10 years, who would you be? Would you be Noah Lyles, Christian Coleman, Andre DeGrasse, Trayvon Burmel? Which of those people, Weldon, do you think is going to be the face of sprinting moving forward? Noah Lyles. I mean, that's who I'd be. I don't know. I think he's got a little bit. I don't know if he's gonna be the face of sprinting because he's not a hundred meter man. But I'm super impressed. But with all those guys, right? I mean, a couple years ago, it was the grass. Crazy how good they are. But for me, there's been no. Can he also run the hundred? Is he just a pure two hundred man? I think you're just a pure two hundred man. I don't know. That doesn't really resonate. I think the four hundred is more prominent even than the two hundred. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I would say Christian uh, Coleman personally, and I, I think Lyles is a huge talent. But I think, as you said, his best event is the two hundred. You know, he wants to run the hundred. Um, I think he said he told me last week he wants to run it at USA's this year. His coach wants him to run the two hundred. But I think Coleman, you know, he's he's run nine eight two in the hundred. He's already got a silver medal at Worlds in the hundred. I think he has, you know, and the other thing is he's been healthy. Uh, and you know, who knows two years from now, he might be in the same situation as Bromel because Bromel ran 984 in 2015. We all thought, look at this guy. He's going to be the next big thing. Same with DeGrasse. Both of those guys have battled injuries. You know, Bromel, we have yet to see him really return to his, uh, form that he saw showed, you know, early in 2016. Um, we haven't really seen DeGrasse get back to where he was last year at the Olympics. Uh, you know, give them some time. They might return to that level. But I think we see with sprinters all the time. I mean, look at Johan Blake. Johan Blake started out with one of the most promising starts to a career of anyone in the history of track and field. But then he, you know, had some hamstring issues and he really hasn't been the same guy since. So it's it's really hard to tell if you, if these guys come down with a major injury. It's just your body, it goes through so much in running this that high speed. It's hard to tell if they'll ever get back to their best. But right now, Coleman's start is amazing. I think, you know, he's run 92 in the 100. Give me Coleman uh, for the next 10 years. So he's your favorite for 2020 gold, John, in the 100 meters? Yeah, I would I would say that right now, yes. When I was thinking about the question, um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking, who's the favorite for 2020 gold? And I think you, you've got to go. I mean, I'm with John. You've got to go with Coleman because, A, he's healthy. I mean, DeGrasse 
isn't healthy. Bromel didn't even run. I think he ran one race last year, like 10. So as John says, they could be like Johan Blake and, and never really seen from again. Coleman was so good last year that there's nothing really to like. But the thing that I just love about Lyles is, could he be like Usain Bolt? I mean, Bolt started off as a 200, 400 guy and then ended up being a 100, 200 guy. And then actually his last year ended up just running the 100. Now, people thought he couldn't run the 100 because he was so tall. Now, Lyles isn't nearly that tall, but, you know, Lyles, he's run, well, he's run 986 this year, but with a 4.1 tailwind. I mean, so, I mean, he ran a 10.14 in 2015 as a what, 17 year old. So, then that was a 2.0 win. So, it's a, it's a pretty big win. But, you know, could he be someone that ultimately, you know, maybe the 200 is his, his best event, but the 100. He's pretty darn good at it as well. So, you know, really exciting stuff there. But, you know, when you look at Coleman, one thing that really struck me was, you know, Bromel was so good. I think it was 20, was it 2014, John? 2015, right? When Bromel was so good. 2015, he medaled. Uh, He was good. He was the NCAA champ in 2014 too, but DeGrasse then came on and beat him the next year. Yeah. But those guys were, 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 you know, Bromel and, and Coleman are the same age. They're both 22 right now. But, you know, if you go back a few years ago, I think when they were freshmen, Coleman didn't even make the finals at NCAA. He did run 10-18, but Bromel ran 9-84 that year and ended up going pro. And now here we are a few years later, you know, and Bromel's injured and, and Coleman is, you know, really doing quite well. So um, the sprint action should be, you know, fantastic. And, you know, there's just a, I mean, obviously at a Diamond League meet, the only U.S. Diamond League meet now, it's going to be loaded, you know, um, in so many different events. Um, you know, the non-sprinting events, we got the 400 hurdles women, but without Sydney McLaughlin, Hey, I'm not really that excited about that. We have a hundred women, um, 110 hurdles, men, 400 women. These are just the running events and the 200 men. Um, and then you got a ton of field events, obviously. So those are, are the, um, you know, the, the non-distance events and then distance wise, We've got a, a B800 women on Friday night, a B800, B1500 women, and then the, the 802 mile, which we'll get into in great detail. And then the Diamond League meets on Saturday, events on Saturday are the 800 women, steeplechase men, 1500 women, 5000 women. And uh, the pre classic always ends with the Bowerman Mile. It's actually not a Diamond League event, but it is absolutely. So, John, besides the sprinting events, what distance event most excites you and, and what should we talk about first? So yeah, I would say the two mile, um, as I hinted earlier, I think I'm just really intrigued to see how Edward Cesarek does. You know, I think a lot of these events, we sort of know, uh, you know, who the top guys are and we don't know exactly what will happen. But this one, you know, Cesarek, we, we've seen him run a f- against a field like we've never seen him run against a field this good. You know, indoors in Boston, he faced Gebrewet and Gebrewet Meskel and Saris Ruto, some pretty good runners. Um and he beat them. That was part of his epic two-day double. You know, he ran a 3.49 indoor mile, number two all time. And then he came back the next day and ran, you know, I think uh, 7.37 to 7.38, something pretty quick in the uh, 3K in Boston. But this is a more difficult field than that. And it's got guys like Paul Chalimo. It's got Salmon Borrega, who uh, was, you know, fifth at Worlds last year. He's really good. Uh, it's, 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 it's a loaded field. And if he it's the toughest field he's ever faced. And I've always thought, you know, when, even when he was a freshman at Oregon, I thought, you know, he had the closing speed to one day medal on the world stage, but you know, we really, we haven't seen him take on, you know, he's been able to dust 
the best collegians the last few years, but we haven't seen him take on, you know, these world-class fields. And this is his first test. It's on his de facto home track where he dominated for Oregon for years. I just really can't wait to see how he matches up against uh, Chalimo and all those guys. Now, this is his outdoor opener, John. One thing that, uh, you know, has me a little bit nervous is, it's my understanding he was on the start list last week for the Oxy meet and didn't brace. What was he going to run at Oxy? And do we have any idea if he's in shape? I, I don't know what he was going to run at Oxy. Um, and I don't know what kind of fitness he's at right now. Uh, he hasn't raced since uh, that indoor weekend in Boston. But, you know, that, so that, that, I guess that's another reason I am curious. If he's not at 100% or if he's, you know, coming off a break or whatever, who knows? You know, it could be any one of these guys who beats him. But if he's at that same level of fitness, I think he's a serious contender to win the race. Well, then who do you like in that race? Kind of pretty kind of weird because it's early in the season, right? So, like, as you said, you know, he's in race this year, outdoors. You don't know where people are at. I, I'm just, I think I'm much more excited to see the matchup, right? You know, Chalimo is going to be in there. Edris. I, I would like to see someone who's raced, you know, already this year. I don't I don't, I don't see why we're not, you guys aren't playing up Chalimo a little bit more just because he's already raced this year. No, I mean, I'm, I think Chalimo will do great. You know, he almost won in Shanghai. Uh, he, I think he could well have won world indoors in the 3K. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was sort of playing up Cesare because I think it's interesting. It's his first outdoor race as a pro. He, you know, we don't really know what he can do against this kind of field. I mean, we know Paul Chalimo is one of the best 3K. I guess this is a two-miler. He's one of the best two-milers in the world. So I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised if he wins. I guess I wouldn't be super surprised if Cesarek wins, but it's something we haven't, you know, we haven't really seen him at that level yet, which we, whereas we have for Chalima. Yeah. Now the two mile distance, John, it seems to me that would definitely benefit Cesarek. I mean, he ran a three fifty mile indoors. Uh, the Kenyans are known for their miling, you know, prowess. Whereas if you look at the top of Ethiopians, I mean, the world champion Mukhtar Edris is in there. He didn't look good in Shanghai, but Ethiopians also aren't known at all for their mile ability. So, Two, two miles much closer to a mile than it is a 10k so i, I think that would certainly help a, a cheserick um you know but one of the things that i added to the preview that we have up on let's run.com is I, I think that there's a lot of people that just sort of assume and i guess you're not this way john because you're saying you want to see how he just stacks up a field but i think there's a lot of people that just sort of assume like oh of course cheserick dominated in college now he's going to dominate in the pros He's going to be the next Bernard Lagat, sort of Kenyan turned American. If, if you're not familiar, Cheswick's trying to get his U.S. citizenship. But you know, one thing that I I, I put in, in the preview was, why are we all assuming that Cheswick's going to be this dominant world figure? I mean, look at Solomon Brega, the, the Ethiopian. He's what four years younger than Cheswick, or six? Who who really knows, Robert? It's uh, with the both of their birthdays, we don't we don't really know. Yeah, but official age is what. Official age, I believe he's 18 and Cesarek is... Uh... Yeah, so so six years younger. Um, you know, and his PRs, I mean, this guy, Berega, who got the silver indoors, um, yeah, he's 13 days short of six years younger than Cesarek, officially. Now, there's doubt, as John said, about both their birth dates. But he's run 12.55 in his first year on the circuit. He's also got a better 3,000-meter PR. 
736 versus 738. Now, I think if they're both, you know, healthy for two mile, particularly at pre-classic, I would probably give the edge to Cheserick. But it's just interesting to me that, you know, as good as Cheserick was, it's inter- you know, it's weird because Cheserick at the end of college, he didn't have a great senior year, you know, had some a couple defeats in, in cross country and got injured outdoors and, and didn't really end with a bang. But then, you know, indoors this year, he just sort of erased I think most people's doubts like, wow, 350 mile, he is back better than ever. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting to like who is better as a pro than they are in the collegiate and who isn't. I mean, I think if we were having this conversation five years ago, people would have been talking about Lowry Lang. I mean, Lowry Lang was almost as good as Cheserick. In some ways, he was better than Cheserick in college. I think Lowry, Cheserick won what, 15 individual titles. I think Lowry won nine. So that's obviously less, but but look at their PRs. I mean, Lowry ran three thirty three and thirteen oh one in college the year before he graduated. That was the summer before his senior year. Cheserick's only run thirteen eighteen. Now he's run a three fifty mile, which is probably pretty close actually to three thirty three. So, and Lowry's only actually two years older than Cheserick now. So, it's just something to think about. You know, I, I don't know. Like John, one of, this is a future story idea I have for you. I've always wanted to know what happened to Robert Cheserick. Robert Cheser is Bernard Lagat's brother. He was incredible in college at Arizona. He beat Dathan Ritzenheim. He fell down and still beat Dathan Ritzenheim for an NCAA title one time in Austin um, and then really didn't do much as a pro. He's still sort of hanging around. He's, I think he's part of the Army WCAP program now. Um, and speaking of Army WCAP, Larry Lang actually is in the WCAP and should be getting his citizenship any day now. So one question I have for you guys at Rapid Fire, Weldon, who's more likely to be on the U.S. 2020 Olympic team, Edward Cheserick? Or Lowry Lang. Yes, we've lost Weldon. Jonathan, why don't you answer that question for me? Yeah, I, I'm going to say Cheserek. Um, and again, the the big question here is, does Cheserek get his citizenship by then? Because I think if he if he gets it by 2020, I think he's on the team. I think he's that good. But the Lang, I mean, who knows? He really he really just hasn't done much since he graduated from Arizona, you know. And that was back in 2014. Um, and could he get? Could he turn around his career under Scott Simmons? Well, it's possible. I mean, we've seen Paul Chalimo and Jarek Kipchirchia. They were they were pretty good in college, but they were nowhere close to where they are right now. Uh, and you know, training under Simmons out in Colorado Springs. So Lelang clearly has the talent. I mean, like you said, three thirty three and thirteen flat. Uh, he was way better than either of them in college. Could he get to that back to that level? It's possible, but uh, I just think Cheserek's in a much better place right now and assuming he gets his citizenship and that's really what this question boils down to I think you've got to you got to pick him I said 1301 for well it's actually 13 flat point nine five. so John we're both, you and I are both right it's actually closer to 13 flat but uh no right. come on Robert that's that's we <laughs> don't we're not both right I'm right 13 flat in a road race you have to round up then you're second so did you run that on the roads Robert or on the track Dragon. Anyways, but well, you know, Lowy actually, um, we get criticism at times for focusing on American born and Kenyan born and stuff like that. And to the critics who don't like that, hey, go ahead and read the Atlantic Track Club press release or, or profile that we have in the week that was this week. We have a segment there on the 800 meter runner for for the Atlantic Track Club. And Brandon La- Brandon Lassiter who ran 145. He was great. His PR was 147 last week. Then he ran 145.8. If you look at his bio on the Atlanta Track Club, it notes that he's the first Georgian-born athlete to break four. 
um, I, they don't use the word Georgia born. They say like um, native, native Georgian or something. Native born Georgian, excuse me, is, is, the, is the terminology. So, you know, in, in, in these day and age sort of, 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 you know, people moving all over the world, it, it's a, it's an international world and, you know, you can now call for free and people move all over and sort of all that stuff. Sort of people, it's, it's interesting to me, John, like some people get mad when we, when we say Kenyan born and yet, I guess to me, it's not, I don't know. It's like, there's a lot of reasons to do it. I mean, I'm a big fan of the book Sports Gene. I mean, genetics are a big part of running, whether you like that or not, uh, like to admit it or not. But then people will say, well, that's racist. And I'm like, no, it's just, we're pointing out like a fact. He's They're of Kenyan descent or East African descent or whatever, you know, we're not supposed to mention it yet. What's the big craze going through America? It's like 23 and me. You're supposed to send in a box of saliva and figure out you know, the DNA of your entire ancestry and, and figure out who you're related to and what, what famous relatives you have. So on the one hand, America is obsessed with that. On the other hand, you're not supposed to talk about it because being, being British born, John, can you, can you, uh, do you have any comments on that? Or are you gonna... No, I agree with you. It's like, look, I mean, look at the composition of the distance squad on the United States 2016 Olympic team. All three guys in the 5K were born in Africa. Two of the th- three in the 10K were born in Africa. And two of the three, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the steeplechase, maybe. Oh, I'm looking at tw- 2017 World Championship team. Uh, the Two of the three were in the steeplechase, uh, Kabene and Hillary Board. Hil- sorry, Hillary Bohr were born in Africa. I mean, look, we can't boil. Who knows exactly what the percentages are, whether it's nature, nurture. Uh, genetics, uh, you know, I, I can't say exactly what goes into making them better, but I think you're a fool to say that someone born in, you know, at altitude in Kenya is not at a bitter, bed, bigger advantage becoming, you know, a professional runner and Olympian than someone born, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Uh, and I think it's, I'm not trying to be racist when I'm pointing out this stuff, but we're pointing out to provide context. And I think, you know, most people, well, I'd like to think that most people could appreciate the nuances there. Uh, some can't, some get mad. Right. They're entitled to their you opinion, know, but in some uh, ways, it's so different than noticing that like Neely Spence Gracie is the son of Steve Spence or Matthew Centrowitz is the son of Matt Centrowitz. They have sort of, you would think based on that, that their genetics are going to be sort of, you know, I, I ideally su- suited for sort of for distance running. It's kind of like, it's not a surprise when a Samoan makes the NFL as an offensive lineman, but it is a surprise if, if they make it as a wide receiver. I mean, there's just certain, you know, I mean, we're talking on average statistics anyways, before I get myself into trouble, let's, let's, go, <laughs> let's move on to another topic. But um, that two mile is great. And I'm really excited that it's on Saturday night. And I don't Friday know if night. there's a rule. I mean, Friday night, excuse me, that all the diamond league meets have to races have to be on actually Saturday in the two hour window. Because it's a real shame to me that, you know, that oftentimes they run the men's 5,000. This year they're running the women's 5,000 in the middle of the day on Saturday. And it's just not good weather to run fast. It's normally warm, windy, you know, and not good. But but when the sun sets on, on the West Coast in the summer, generally the wind stops. So it should be really fantastic. Looking at the Let's Run poll, 47% of the Let's Run Nation are picking Cheswick to win. 24% are picking Cholimo. And I, I really think those are, are, are the smart picks. Borrega's next at 12%. Um, I, I would, I'm really high on the two young Ethiopians, him and the other guy in the mile. 
But I just think that two miles is probably a little bit short distance for him. Um, and then Mukhtar Edwards is the third pick at 6%. But, you know, Weldon wanted Ohio to hype up Cholima before he had technical difficulties and is no longer on the call. It looks like, will the American record of 807.07 go down? And 51% are saying yes. So that would be a big ask of, of Cholima. Um Although I guess it should be pointed out when that American record was run, it was run during the day in the normal prefrontal meet. So definitely will be better conditions. You know, another guy we haven't mentioned, Eric Jenkins is in that, right? Yep. Jenkins, so, Ben True, Ryan Hill. I mean, you got a lot of Americans. Mo Ahmed, Hassan Mead. Uh, I guess any of them one. are capable of the, of the, you know, the American record. But uh, Lopez Lamong's in there. So it, it's certainly Paul Tanui. Wow. For he's global, you know, he's medaled in the last four world championships at 10,000. So two miles is definitely short for him. Henrik Ingebrigtsen actually is another interesting name. He won the Peyton Jordan 5k. So what, I mean, that is incredible. One, two, three. I mean, there's like 20 guys in that, in the field and they're all, I mean, I wonder who, who's the least credentialed guy in that field. I would say Ababia Simbasa um, from, uh, the WCAP program. Um, yeah, if you're not familiar with him, he was fourth in USA's at the 10K last year. You're definitely right. I mean, Jacob Kalima, the world under 20 XC champs in there. Maybe Emmanuel Bohr. He's not, the, he only ran, I think he ran 744 this year indoors. He's not hugely credentialed, those two guys. But, uh, and again, I actually don't know who's rabbiting. I mean, it's possible they're just in there as rabbits for Chalimo, but, uh, you know, you'd assume they have some paces in there you know, willing to take it out pretty quick because, you know, feel that big, uh, it's going to bunch up uh, unless it's quick. And then the other big race tomorrow, uh, Friday night, is, is the men's 800, 10.52 p.m. Now, I guess it'll be nice and still, probably not quite as warm as, as the 800 runners would like, but um, totally loaded. N- Nigel Amos, who was our world number one last year, but has had a lot of trouble as of late in, in the global championships. It didn't even medal last year as the favorite um, but uh, didn't even medal in the, in the Commonwealth Games earlier this year as the favorite. Um, of course, is you know, very famous for running second place behind David Rudish's world record in London at the Olympics um, six years ago. Um, you know, he's now based in Eugene. Seems to have sort of re, re, refound his career really since training under um, Mark Rowland out in Eugene. But um, he missed a few weeks. Apparently, that's why he was injured at Commonwealth Games. That's the excuse we're getting, or, or the rationale we're getting for him not meddling. I mean, you can't imagine that he would meddle at the Commonwealth Games because um, he was running well. I think he'd already run 143 this year, or 144 earlier in the year. So, you know, he's probably the biggest. Um, well, he's he's got the most global hardware in terms of outdoor championships. But you've got the World Indoor Champion Adam Schott, 143.3 PB. But yours and I favorite John. We got the U.S. champion down from Brazier, of course, but a favorite has got to be right, Emmanuel Career. I mean, how good is he? For sure. This guy, I mean, he's a monster talent. You know, uh, he's got really great speed, you know, uh, 40, I think 44 second, 400 speed, which, is, you know, for this guy, for 800 runner is just outstanding. Um, and he's run 143. You know, he's the world leader last year at 143.10. Uh, he's only lost... Okay, so I'm not counting here one of his prelims in the Kenyan Championships when he advanced last year and made the final. If you don't count that one, he's lost two career 800s. One was in the Kenyan Championships in 2016, and that was his third 800 race ever, according to Tillis Tapaja. Um, and the other was when he failed to advance to the final last year at Worlds, and he was hurt at that meet. 
Apart from that, he's won everything. He ran 144.21 indoors this year, which is the fastest indoor time in 17 years. Uh, he won the Diamond League opener in Doha this year. Um, and, you know, everything I see from this guy, just, I, you know, he's got star written all over him. And I'm, I'm not... I'm hesitant to compare him to Rudisha, but at the same time, like you look at his build, you know, is he going to run 140 one day? Probably not. I mean, odds are against it, but I'm I'm saying it's on the table, and I don't think you could say that for a lot of guys. But yeah, I, I expect him to win this race. But good field. I mean, if, if, especially if it slows down, shots going to be a factor. But if it goes quick, uh, I'm excited to see how how fast Korea can run. And he's got a real advantage because, of course, he's training still at UTEP with Michael Cerrone. And how good has Michael Cerrone been this year? I mean, Cerrone has run 143.25 this year. So you got a 143.10 for career, 143.25. Both running group, of course, are coached by Olympic champion Paul Ehring. I mean, those guys are insane. I mean, the other day we had up on Let's Run, we got to watch Cerrone run a 1500. I'm like, in the history of the world, have we ever seen a 45-second guy run a 1500? I mean, I haven't. And he ran 350 in the 1500 at the Conference USA Champ. So that's like a sub 410 mile, you know, 408 probably, 407, 408. What a treat to see that, to see that range. A guy can run 45 seconds in a quarter. And then career, you know, he's never run a 1500, but he runs 44.53 in the quarter. I mean, that's David Rudisha. Admittedly, these guys don't run, you know, the nice thing about seeing these guys in, in the NCAA system is they occasionally will run a 400, occasionally they'll run a 1500. There's no real reason to see a Rudisha when he's a pro run a 400. He's not normally going to waste time and do that in the meet. And Rudisha's the official PR is almost a full second slower than careers. It's 45.50. So we've really never seen a guy this fast in the 800. So, I, yeah, I mean, he's 22. I, I, I think, I mean, you can't predict, obviously, a world record. But for everyone that thinks records – you know, will never be broken. No, they generally will be broken. Records are always broken. It's like father time is undefeated. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting though. As drug testing is better and better if they continue to be broken. But, um, you know, two, three years, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he's approaching those types of, of, of you know, Rudisha-like performances. Because I think, he's, you know, and it's really good to see Amos back because he's, he's the big talent. And actually Amos is probably... What is he now? Probably 24 still, theoretically, officially, 20, 24 days, years and 69. So that should be really amazing. Let's run Nation. John, you want me to pick career for you for the win? I will. Let's run Nation is big on career. 62% for career. 18% think Donovan Brazier can do it. 14% Nigel Amos. So, John, What's the latest on Brazier? Have we heard anything about how things are going for him? Um, have, we, have we seen him since the DQ in, at World Indoors? Looks like we're having some technical difficulties. Cannot hear you. Oh, sorry. I, I was uh, muted there, Robert. Um, yeah, I, I haven't talked to Brazier since uh, World Indoors, but you know he, he's progressed pretty well as a pro, I think. Uh, you know he's, he's had some issues in the round still, uh, but... And, you know, he had the DQ indoors last year. He didn't make it to the final at Worlds. But, you know, he won USA's last year. He's won round one to 43. He's been competitive in Diamond Leagues. I think I expect him to be ready to roll um, come Friday night. So, 
I didn't make you make a prediction for the. I made you make a two mile prediction with um, Cheswick winning. But did you have Chalimo breaking the American record? I said no. I mean, eight oh seven is that's pretty tough. You know, you you can't really. You got to go out pretty close to pace. You know, probably four oh four or five or whatever if you know and you can maybe next split at the end but you know if you're a little slow on one of those opening laps uh and you've focused on just winning the race it's hard you know uh you got you got to stay on those rabbits and we saw that race you know if you look at the winning times in previous years okay Martram ran two we're in 803 in uh 2007 but then you had guys like Kipchoge and Lagarde and they are not running faster than 807 in this race so I think if they all really commit to it, I think he has the ability to run. Chalima has the ability to break eight oh seven, but I think race dynamics will probably play out in such a way that he doesn't. So we talked about the men's eight on Saturday. We're going to have the women's eight hundred, and we've got really the big, we got the big, the big stars. I mean, we've got Castro Semenya, Margaret Wambui, and Ag Wilson, and Francine Nsabo. So really, the big three, and then Ag, um, you know, sort of the three women that many think are sort of benefiting from the from the hyperandrogenism rules being lifted a few years ago but uh, they may be back so it's really sort of could be the last time we see Castro Semenya in full form if you want my prediction I, I imagine one of these courts is going to throw th- this thing out it seems to me I, I definitely think that Semenya has an unfair advantage um, I, I think it's unfortunate she was obviously raised as a woman she identifies as a woman but just because you identify as a woman doesn't mean that you should be allowed to compete as a woman without hormone treatment in professional athletics. I mean, if Caitlyn Jenner, if Bruce Jenner wanted to to, to compete in, in the women's um, Olympics in 1976 as Caitlyn, I, I you know, I mean, people would have said no way. Now, admittedly, society's progressed a lot, but I say let people self-identify however they want, but you need to have rules if we're having a special category. I think we should have one category called open athletics and the one for sort of this other category that that we call women's athletics. And there's got to be certain rules. And I certainly don't think that, you know, the proper way to do it in 2018 is who has a penis or not. So I think hormones is a good way to regulate it. And, um, you know, it's just a sensitive thing. I, I really like to see what John, that article you had about AG though, AG enjoys racing caster. She enjoys the challenge. She's gotten pretty close to Semenya on several occasions recently. I mean, I guess the closest she's ever been um, is 0.6 of a second. That was in the 600 last year in Berlin. No, she was closer than that at Worlds. She was only, uh, sorry, in Monaco, she was only uh, 0.34 behind her. That's really the, other than that, she really hasn't been that close uh, if you look at the results. But well, it's, she, it's know, interesting, and I have their career head-to-head. Career head-to-head, A.G. Wilson versus Kaiser Semenya. It's really, you know, a tale of two cities. It's a tale of two rule books. When Semenya was on the hormone treatment or believed to be on the hormone treatment, it wasn't even close. A.G. Wilson dominated. Wilson beat Semenya the first three times they raced in their life, once in 2013 and twice in 2014. Um, Wilson beat her by 1.5 seconds the first time they raced in Zurich, by 2.5 seconds the second time they raced in Rome, those were 2013 and 2014. And then the third time they raced, Wilson beat her by 4.00 seconds, Bislett, in 2014. Then the rules get lifted in 2016, and I think the end of 2015. And in 2016, Semenya was back and dominant. Once again, she beat she's, she's beaten Wilson five straight times. I mean, by seven seconds, 
the Olympics. Wilson didn't make the final because she was injured. Then 0.34. It, it's been a little bit closer recently. I mean, the last three times they raced, it was 0.34 in Monaco last year, 1.5 seconds at Worlds, and then 0.6 in the 600 at Berlin. So, um, you know, I, I think you had asked me offline, do I think AG can beat Caster? No. Um, I, I mean, anything's possible. Obviously, if she has food poisoning, I mean, it, it's Caster needs to be on her game and run well to be AG Wilson, and that's a credit to AG. But I, I don't think that barring hormone treatment, can you expect that to happen? Um, but I, I will admit, while I don't think that Caster should be, I think that we need to have some sort of rules. I do enjoy watching Semenya run now. It, it used to bore me, but I really like how she's taking on the challenge of the 1500. Um, I like how Wilson's pretty close to her. And she seems to be, you know, the fact that there's three women that might be behind her, it makes it a little bit more interesting than it was when Semenya was just dominating or when a Pamela Jolimo, who many people might also think have been in the same boat in terms of hyperandrogenism, was absolutely dumb. So um, that's obviously, though, uh, you know, you've got some really good runners in that field. I disagree with it being interesting. The Women's 800 is the least interesting event because it's totally predictable. You know Semenya's going to win. You know Nian is going to get second. And it's probably going to be Wilson third, maybe Wambui. But, you know, it's interesting to see Semenya run the 400 or the 1500 i agree with you there but the 800 i i know who's gonna win every race that's it's why it's not interesting am i back can you guys hear me we can, we can. Well, Walton welcome johnson's back. back from the dead folks. hey not even easter sunday uh, anyway i i agree with robert i love the women's 800 um i feel like it's sort of like a spectacle now and something to watch and you say you know who she's gonna win but like hasn't she won a race by less than 0.10 I mean, she could lose a race no, when did that and happen? I'll look it up. Give me, give me a second. But uh, I think also the sort of, uh, I think there's a race last year, one of the early Diamond Leagues, maybe pre actually. But the other thing, you know, I also kind of used to watch, wondering if she had a like a special turbo button she could hit and drop a 152 or something. People like wanted to see that if she was sandbagging that sort of stuff. Like I don't know, you just for a while I felt like you weren't sure what you were going to get, and it was almost reminded me for a while of kind of Alan Webb. This may be a crazy analogy, but like you had to watch. You didn't know what was going to happen. And I guess the result's always the same, but I don't know. Um, Holden is correct. The pre-classic last year, Simonia won a 157.78 with Wambui second 157. Wow. 0.10, exactly. Thank you. That's the closest. Everything. I mean, all right, Monaco, maybe she was pushed a little bit, but like what? most of these races, I don't know. She just... It's it's deceptively close because Semenya won't really turn on the Jets, like you said, until the end of the race. When she does that, right. it's but pre pre was surprising over. last year. Yeah, you know. So actually, you know, you know, I don't know. Also, that's probably another thing. I think you were at pre last year. I wasn't, so I'm watching on TV. I probably remember the race more than you because you're trying to interview ten people at once. But I think this year she's looking even better. I think now for me it's a, it's a spectacle because like. Can she win? The, go undefeated at eight and fifteen, and win diamond leagues in both. I mean, if the rules go into place, her career earnings come to an end from running. At least, I mean, maybe she can do exhibition races, and she'll still have a lot of sponsorship. I mean, she's a bona fide star throughout the world, and especially in South Africa. But this year, you know, she might just be like, whatever. I don't care what these people say. I'm just going to run as fast as possible. You know, whereas in the past. I don't know if it was fair or not, but some people felt like she was holding back almost to not bring too much attention to herself. So I don't really 
I'm not sure really by that, but it's interesting. And, you know, the, I think the thing with AG is, you know, Caster has definitely made her raise her game. Without, without Caster, what is AG running right now? You could say she's been sort of deprived of some of these gold on your, depending on your outlook, she's been deprived of some of these global medals or getting a better color medal. But, you know, if she just running 158s, if Caster isn't setting the bar so high. Agreed. Agreed. Um, go ahead. We Robert. also have Charlene Lipsy in the field, which I was pleased. I, I didn't see her in the start list. I was mad at first. I'm like, what do you mean? She deserves to be in that field. John, will you at least admit in terms of Semenya that she isn't sandbagging, that she's run as fast as she can, 800? People think that she. she I'm not convinced so much- of that, Robert. I'm oh. really not. I, I oh, think. Yeah. The rabbits lost. All right, last year in Monaco, we were told, okay, she's going to go for it. You know, she's going to go out as hard as she can. And the rabbits went out hard, but she wasn't right on them. And may- maybe that's because she was operating her physical limit. That's possible. But I just, you know, I- I've seen her run so many races this way. I think she can break the world record. And I don't think she's, I don't think she's done everything she's capable of yet. I think there's, we've seen a couple races a year where she really. Usually it's been Monaco the last two years where she's really tried to why, run fast from the front. Why wouldn't she want to break the world record? She My theory was, at least before these rules, you know, they before the IAF came up with these new rules, is say she goes out there and runs 152. Well, then everyone who is saying she shouldn't be competing against these women is going to have this data point saying, look, she's run faster than all of the dopers throughout history, like Kratochvilova, as well as she's like, you know, who else is re- the next closest person is uh, Fr- Francine and Sarah at 156. If she's winning 400, if she's winning by 800s by four seconds, people are just going to be like, look, we have to change this. It's obviously, it needs to be fixed. Whereas if she's running 155 and 156, which at times we've seen women do in the past, there might be less of an impetus to uh, get the rule changed. That was, that was my working theory, at least. Yeah, well... I would love to see her just, I, I don't think that's true. I just think she's maxed out. I feel like it, people often think people can run faster than her and they just can't do it. It's actually interesting. Nina Sabo actually has a PR that's 155.47. She's only 0.31 off of Semenya's PR. So, um, you know, I, people talk about invasion of privacy and stuff. And, and to me, that argument just doesn't hold water. I mean, if you want to be a pro athlete, you Weldon used to have to pee in a cup and the man would have to literally see his penis. So all pro athletes have an invasion of privacy. Um, you know, and I don't know. I think if you're sort of the experts tell me that the XY chromosome test isn't the good one, but if you don't have an ovary and I, I, I kind of hope that she does, if she is capable of it, that she just, all right, you guys are going to ban me. I'm going to put the world record out of reach. That's so I kind of want to see that too. I that would just be want, I'd like to flex those muscles, I mean, Caster. Flex them. We don't really your... think the world record is legitimate now, do we? I'd, I'd rather have Caster break it. I mean, it's not. No one's thought that she might have been on drugs. I think most people just think it's sort of a natural advantage that she has. So, hey. Yeah, I agree. I'd rather see her have the record than Kratochvilov. Okay, and let's then, move you on. Know, it's, it's not an easy situation that she's been in. You know, she's under a lot of scrutiny, and I think she handles it very well. Um, it's crazy. It's been what since almost ten years now. Two thousand nine, she first burst on the scene. Um, let's move on. Men's steeplechase tomorrow or Saturday, excuse me. John, do we have all the medalists? Are we missing anyone? We, I know, I see uh, Jager. I see Conceslas Capruto. Who got the silver last year? 
Elbakali, Sufyan Elbakali, Morocco, and he's running as well. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. You know, uh, these guys really are the big three of the event. Uh, they split the five Diamond League meets last year. Jager won one, Elbakali won two, Kipruto won two, and then obviously he also won Worlds. Uh, uh, you know, I'm writing the preview for this event, and I, you know, I don't think an eight minute barrier that's obviously all three of them have that in mind. None of them have done it this year. Sorry, none of them have done it ever. Uh, El Bacali's run 8.04. Jager and Kiprudo have both come super close. Jager ran 8 flat 0.45 when he fell in Paris. And uh, Kiprudo's come even closer. He ran 8 flat 0.12. So uh, that's going to be the goal this season. But right now, I don't know if that's going to be possible. You know, I was talking to Kiprudo's agent, uh, Michelle Boating, last week. And... You know, he was telling me, yeah, Kipruto, he definitely wants to run fast, but he's not sure if it's going to happen right now because it's still kind of early in the season. They might have to wait until later in the year. And I did a breakdown. If you look at all of the sub eight minute rate three uh, sub eight minute steeples in history, uh, three four have come in the month of May, one in the month of June, but the majority have come after that. It's been twelve in July, thirteen in August, and six in September. So my guess is one of the, these guys, maybe all of them. We'll go under eight minutes at some point this summer, but I don't think it's going to happen on Saturday afternoon at pre. What I do think is going to be a great race. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. And I'm excited to see the celebration uh, because Kipruto is known for celebrating from a long way out and doing some wild stuff. And, uh, you know, if Jager wins on home soil, he's going to be pretty pumped about that. So uh, very excited for this race. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, this will, of course, be, be Jager's first steeple of the year. And I was looking up, John, what he's opened, how fast has he opened up before in the steeple? And he's opened, he ran 808 in 2013. He ran 806 in 2014, he ran 805 in 2015. The, the difference was in all of those years, well, first of all, Prefontaine is normally a little bit later. Normally it's like June, right? End of May. Not no, normally May. it's this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend usually. Well, I was looking at the dates. It's normally five or six days later. Anyways, not a big deal, but Jager normally has run a little bit faster in some other events. I mean, this year he ran 13.24 on April 19th. Um, I think he's got, what, a 13.02 PB, right? Yeah. Um, you know, whereas, so he's run 13.24. In, in 2013, when he opened up at 8.08 in the steeple, he'd already run a 13.14 at Stanford. The next year, he'd already run 13.08, and he didn't open up at pre. He opened up at Bislett on June 11th, so he had an extra three weeks of training. He also had run a 3.53 at pre. So he ran 13.08 and 3.53 before running at 8.06. And then his his best opener was in 2015. Um, he had run a, a 339, 1500, which that amazing. So it's hard to hard to read too much into that. But uh, 1324. I mean, I guess he did win that race, right? So it, it would be surprising to me if he ran, you know, super fast. I, I would think more like 810 would, would be in the cards. I was looking up last year. Jager didn't run pre. Do we know? Do, does anyone remember why? It wasn't this men's steeple? I mean, I guess he could have run the. 5,000, but uh, yeah, there was no steeple at pre last year. So, and Contessus Capruto ran that 5k in Shanghai and was terrible. He dropped no out. No one's doubting that he's gonna, yeah, no but, one's gonna doubt that he's you know in sub 810 shape. And he won Commonwealth Games in 810 as well, so I guess he's had more, a lot more racing than Jager, but you know, it's it's gotta be a they always are sub 805 races. I feel when you have when you have when you have this many good guys in it, you have us. Your prediction then, Weldon. Winner in time, please. Um, it'd be great if Jager could win it, but I got to go with Consensus Capruto. 
8048. Uh Kibruto eight oh five. I'm not gonna give the tenths. Sorry. But say I, I when I nail the tenths. Um, I mean it's interesting. Caputo was terrible in Shanghai, but the fact that he ran a five thousand means to me like he must have thought like, hey, I'm capable of something. He did run eight ten flat. Yeah, I think eight oh five, eight oh three is a good call there. Um I I think Caputo should be the one to win it. Um be nice to see Jager win it, but you know, nothing. I don't. I don't know why the, the the script would be would be flipped from from past results. Um, so the other the distance events before we get to the Bowman Mile, we've got the women's fifteen hundred. The big name there, I guess, would be Laura Muir, right? Three fifty five PB. And Jenny Simpson. Yeah, I was just looking in terms of PRs. Excuse me, Jenny. Apologize. Three fifty seven point two two. So I've noticed that. So they're actually there's only one. There's four women with PRs under four minutes. So those two, and then Winnie Chabad has run 359.16 in the past, 406 this year, and Daywit Sayyam's run 358.09 and was a winner in a, the Diaz meet. So I guess this would be Moore's outdoor opener. Um, Simpsons are already run twice. John, you're probably working in the middle of the preview. Who do you give the edge to in this field? Yeah, I give it to Simpson. You know, she ran 830 in Doha, which is very good, uh, especially for a 1500 meter runner. Uh, and it, you know, you look at the rest of the field, like you said, Robert, you know, the women's 1500 has actually been very strong in recent years, but you don't have any faith. Kippy gone. She's, uh, taking the year off to have a baby. Kanzebe Dabab is running the 5k here. Sifan Hassan isn't running. Casta Semenya is in the 800. You know, it's not that deep in this race. And it's basically, I think it comes down to Simpson or Muir and Muir, uh, recently, actually, she just posted on Twitter, like a couple minutes ago, she, uh, passed her vet exams. So she's going to be a vet. Congratulations to her. But that was sort of the focus, um, that she's had the last, uh, few weeks. And then she was out in California earlier this week. It looked like she was riding some roller coasters earlier this week, uh, sort of post post vet school reward i don't i don't know if that'll have any effect the final exams i know she said she was very busy with it but she trained really well through vet school got two medals at world indoors so i think she'll still give jenny a good race but yeah i'm, I'm gonna go i, I say I'll, I'll pick jenny for the win you know the again the 8 30 in doha very good time uh and she's she's a good racer she has apart from last year she has a good history at pre you know she ran 359 here way back in college in 2009 so uh yeah, I think and, and one woman I will say to watch out for uh Shelby Hulahan. Um, because you know, she ran four oh three here in twenty sixteen, but she has run some significantly better results uh across pretty much every other distance since then. You know, she won USA's in the five K last year. She was fourth at World Indoors in the fifteen hundred, she won the fifteen hundred and three K USA indoors this year. Uh, I think she could revise that PR and maybe even uh, challenge four minutes. So, Jenny, better watch out for Shelby Houlihan. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I think Houlihan could, could challenge, but the fact that Simpson seems to be going, wanting to go after times this year is, is nice in 2018 with no worlds. I think she's the the woman to be, but um, it's just... Yeah, I agree with John. It's a big race for Shelby Houlihan. Like, you know, she's shown some promise, but if, you know, if you're a 403 slash 15 flat girl, like internationally... That's not really doing anything, but if she can get down to four flat, you know, then you can start being a factor in the 1500 in the world stage. I feel like it's a kind of Kate Grace, you know, she has a great story, fellow Yaley, made the Olympic final at 800, but now she's got a 403 1500 meter runner and she may be the, let's see, 
one third fastest 1500 meter person in her group right now. So like if you want to go to the next level, she's going to start needing results being a part of Bowerman. So there's kind of some interesting subplots. And then, you know, Brenda still hasn't broken four. And I don't think, you know, as the years go by, her chances increase at breaking four. So two other subplots besides, you know, whether thing or whether Shelby can challenge her. Well, Brenda might have a chance because she's focusing on the 1500 now. In the past, I mean, she'd been a good 15, sorry, 815 runner, but she'd always gone for the eight at the championships, apart from the Olympics in 2016 when she's pretty much forced to do the 1500 as a backup option. But, you know, this year she's actually going after the 1500 is where she's focusing her training around. And I don't know. Uh, she might have one or two more years left to chase that four flat barrier, but uh, we'll, I guess we'll see starting at pre. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, John. To to me, as a former coach, it's like you have an event that you're best at, and she's a 157.91 800-meter runner. I think that's her best event. To me, focusing on the 1500 means I know I can't cut it anymore at the 800. I think if I jump for the 1500, maybe I can still be relevant. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know people do move up as they get older, but I don't think it's because they're, you know, I think her best event was the 800. You know, I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, I can do the 1500-meter training. I should be better at the event, but just not. So, you know, that's sort of thing. Um, before we get a couple more distance events, women's 5,000, Gonzebe de Baba, obviously the favorite, 14, 15 PB. I mean, Helena Berry's in there. She's run 14, 18, but um, I don't know. Like, to me, uh, come on, Nike, you've got the money. I guess they're not going to get um, Omazayana. She's an Adidas athlete to, to show up in Eugene and, and, and try to break the world record. But at some point in 2018, if there is not a meet on the schedule where both the Baba and Obiri, I mean, Sebco, if you want to be innovative, get them in a world record race somewhere under the lights at night. It's not that hard. They're both incredible. I know they want to avoid each other. Put a bonus, a $50,000 bonus or a $100,000 bonus or something. You know, I, I think we should have let's run events. We raise like $100,000 a year. That would be my one of my but ideas for the year. Okay, $100,000 if one of you breaks the world record. What, Weldon? Did you have a heart attack? No, you said Debaba and Obiri. They're in this race. You mean Ayana as well, right? I mean, yeah, I want to see Ayana. We've got a fourteen, fifteen, and a fourteen, eighteen in this field. So, yeah, Ayana may be more likely to break it, but I feel like it's, you know, it's within the range of what Debaba and Obiri can do. Not the you way know, Helen Obiri is like running this year. Obiri was not good at the Diamond League uh, in Doha. She was fourteenth. Uh, and 853 you know what 853 is that's 1449 5k pace she just she didn't look great indoors either i think obiri sort of needs to needs to prove she's ready to run that fast i think Tababa wins this one and you know in a route but i would like to see ayana versus Tababa for the world record at some point okay i'll be quiet i forgot how bad she was she had a few couple bad races but you're not turning it around that quick you know, um, you know, Alice Apart is, is pretty you know, good. I mean, she was a bad one like that. They could skip pre. Um, you know, world cross silver medalist, but fourteen thirty nine PB. So she's probably. I mean, no one's going to challenge Tababa if she's on her game. And then, we're, of course, we're going to end the meet with the Bowerman Mile. Do you guys know what is significant about? Actually, it'll happen not in the Bowerman Mile. It'll happen on the International Mile. Friday night, first before the Bowerman Mile, we have the International Mile. With um, Drew Hunter, the 17 year old, no, uh, we have Drew Hunter, we have the high schooler, Brody Hasty, trying to break four. Um, uh, I'm sorry, we don't have the 17 year old Ingebrigtsen. He's in the 
Bowerman Mile. What is significant? What will happen, folks, in the International Mile? Do you guys know? I do know because uh, I was what? I emailed Alan what? Webb for a story I'm working on, and he was asking if I was going to be at pre, and I told him I would be. He's like, okay, I'm handing out awards for the International Mile. And he said, did you know that whoever wins the race – almost certainly will be the 400th it will be the 400th sub four mile run at the pre-classic damn it alan webb i thought i had this stat no one else had it there's a list actually if you go to track and field news compiled by scott davis but um yeah so that'll happen on the international mile john international mile Oh, because we're at 399 right now? I was about to say how many people are breaking in this race, but the first gun across will be the 400. Actually, the International Mile, take that back. The International Mile is on Saturday. It's not Friday. So it, it actually bothers me. Do the fans really want to watch two miles in the same day? One's like the JV Mile, even though it's really, really good JV. And then one's the Bowerman Mile. Like, why don't they put the International Mile the day before? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, though. Uh, Rob, you won't actually get to watch that race because it's before the TV broadcast. So uh, only I will get to see that in Eugene. John, you can put it up on Periscope. Uh, I think I'd get my credential revoked if I tried to stream something. Wait, won't it be an NBC Gold or something? No, the NBC Gold, the track events broadcast doesn't start till uh, 4 Eastern, and this race is at 3.48. Well, since it's not going to be on TV... I want you to ask for permission to put it on your Ooh, phone. Come on, people. We can get this done. Anyway. They can start 15 minutes early. Who do we have in the international mile? I mean, it's, let's see here. I've got the full field here. Okay. We've got um, James Maggot, 349 miler. <laughs> Pretty good. Kyle Merber has actually got the next best PR, 352. Merber is scratched from the race. Who has? Merber has scratched from the race. Why didn't he run decent? He ran uh, pretty well. He was running down Centro uh, at Oxy, but he said he has a hip injury, hip issue, uh, which isn't 100 percent serious. But he didn't want to aggravate it, so he's not running. Uh, Forward out, Isaac York's 353. Forward out, Cam Morocco 354. Luke Matthews Australia 34. Then Americans, Henry Wynn, Riley Masters, Drew Hunter, fresh off his 350. Did he run 356.79? Is that what he ran in Boston last week? Yes. Um, Blake Haney and, and then Brody Hasty at four flat point oh five. So after you saw Drew run, John, he won the Adidas meet these boost games uh, last week and beat some, you know, Knight Nick Willis and Chris O'Hare and a 333 Kenyon, 332 Kenyon. But everyone's going gaga. And I like to hype up, you know, I'm famous for hyping up um, Ritz and Hein back in the day. I said he'd be the first white guy under 20s. I'm hyping up for famous hyping up for Ben Sorrell when he went to Colorado. So I, I like to hype up always the next great American distance star in high school, but uh, and I'm a big Drew Hunter fan, but I don't know. People after he won that race were saying, I want to watch him race Josh Kerr. And I was like, are you guys crazy? Josh Kerr would wipe the floor with Drew Hunter. John, how impressive was the win? I mean, I looked at the splits. The weather was good, right? I and mean, the splits were, were not overly impressive in my uh, It was a little rainy. It wasn't, I mean, it was cool and rainy. It wasn't fantastic, but you know, I wouldn't say it was terrible. There were some decent times in other events. I don't know. I mean, he closed in 55 in a 356 race, which is, it's good. It's not like stop the presses, but, and he, you know, he went toe to toe with Chris O'Hare, who was a world championship finalist who won Milrose this year, who's a very good miler. And he held him off. He beat him down the home stretch. So that, that was really impressive to me. And, 
does it mean that he's going to win this international mile? I, I don't know. I think he's, if you look at the people based on current form, he's probably the favorite, but like Colby Alexander's run 356 this year. He's already run faster than Drew. Like Luke Matthews of Australia, he was the bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games, the 800. That guy can kick. Like th- this is a good, you know, there, there are going to be other guys who are in shape right now to challenge Drew. And, you know, if he wins here, that's, it's another notch in his belt. That's good. But I, I don't think, you know, the kid's still 20 years old. You know, he's got some development ahead of him. And uh, th- this would be, this. Is, I think this is probably better for him to get the experience running in this race and running to win as opposed to going into the Bowman Mile where he would definitely get his doors blown off by Manangoy, Chariot, those guys. Yeah, Matthews is much better at 800 than 1500, 145. I mean, it was 12th in the Commonwealth Games, 1500 final. He does have a 335 PB. I don't, I don't know. I mean... In high school, we were told 100 is not a mile. John called Drew a kid. So, yeah, he's John called Drew a kid, which I thought was interesting because that's how Drew, Drew referred to himself. Okay, but, but also, I spent way too much time trying to get audio to work on this thing, so I'm going to play a Drew Hunter clip. Clip, John, it's you talking to him after the Adidas games. It's about 20 seconds long. Once you have that mentality, you start to slowly believe. You know, when you wake up every day and say, I'm a winner, I'm going to, you know, train to be a winner, train to win this race, like, Good things happen. You start to transform into a better runner. Did um, you have that mentality last year? No, I didn't. No, because I was very timid last year, and you know, rightfully so. I, I think most kids in my position would have been too. And but now I'm like, I'm just as good as these guys. I earned this contract. I earned the right to be out here. And so now, you know, now I just you know treat it, treat it like you know I belong. And that's been a big. So there you have it, Drew Hunter. But he calls himself a kid, which I thought was interesting. But I think he oh, definitely I, belongs. I, I, I love the clip. Good good work, John. And and don't misunderstand me, folks. I love Drew. I I think it's fantastic. He's in a great situation. He's got a great coach in Timman. He's in a great, he's got a training group there in Boulder. He's training at altitude. He's doing everything right. They're entering in the appropriate races. He's motivated. There's a plan, it seems like. It's not, um, I don't know. Alan Webb ran 353 as a high school senior and then thought he was going to run 346 the next year. Now, it's that mindset that probably gave Webb the American record in the mile too, the craziness of whatever, but it wasn't good for long-term development. So Hunter's doing a, a lot of things right, but in high school we were told he's not a miler. So if he's not a miler, I know he just did win the Adidas Boost games. I just, and this is a rabbit race, but if this was a championship race for these guys, I wouldn't pick him to win it because, I don't know, we just saw Justin Knight. He's one of the fastest collegians ever at 1500. He got smoked in the, in the ACC meet and got like fifth or fourth. Um, because he can't, you know, turn the gears like some of these guys. So Hunter may win it, and that'd be great. Um, I, I think it'd be nice to see him approach Alan Webb's high school time. Um, you know, I, I certainly think this race would be won and under 355. Um, historically, it is. So, you know, th- th- that would be fantastic. But um, let's talk about the main event. Let's go to the Bowman Mile. Yeah. You've seen Hunter. Give me the time that he runs. Oh, Drew? Um I'll say 355. Very good. Does he win the race? Yeah, I think he wins. Okay. And turning to the last but not least, the non-Diamond League, but one of the biggest events of the weekend, the Bowman Mile, the 400th. Well, well, we'll see the 400th mile actually in the earlier race. But I was thinking about this. This list on track and field news is amazing. I mean, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Trying to figure out 17, 18. You know, everyone got when Gaga over Cheswick. And don't get me wrong, 350 in the mile indoors is great, but there's been 23 people that have broken 350 in the mile in this Bowman mile. That's how good this is. 
And I know it's outdoors, but it's often windy. It's early in the season. So that's, you know, this field is loaded. John, why don't you tell us who's in the field? The big names. I'll tell you, though, who's not in it. And it's the most decorated Bowerman miler in history, the four-time champion, Asbel Kiprop. Of course, has tested positive BBL. He will be out. Um, I guess Nike's not bringing him in to rabbit the race. They ought to make him rabbit the race for free or something. People would probably boo him. But... Yeah, I'm sure that would go over really well. Nike has a do- Robert, you would totally bash them if they did that, bringing in a doper hey, to rabbit a race. They bring him into the VIP tent. John, don't jump to conclusions. If, if Kiprop's going to be in the VIT tent having wine and, and cocktails with Capriotti, shouldn't he they at least make him work? He's not going to be in the VIP tent, though. I only because we exposed that, folks. If you're not familiar with what, what we're talking about, uh, Google um, Mark Block, Eugene, let's run by comp. So, John, take us through the field briefly. Yeah, so it's it's a good one for sure. Um, you know, we got, I, I won't read off every name, but I'll hit some of the highlights. We got Matthew Centrowitz. You might have heard of him. He's the Olympic champion from the United States. Uh, Timothy Chariot, uh, he won in Shanghai. He's the silver medalist for Worlds last year. Uh, Craig Engels, uh, Centrowitz teammate from the Nike Oregon Project. He won the 800 at Oxy. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, uh, the 17 year old Wunderkind from Norway, who beat. Centro Angelimo at the Peyton Jordan meet in the 1500. He was the youngest last year, the youngest ever sub four miler. Uh, he did that at the pre-classic. Now he gets to run with the big boys. Uh, so that should be fun. Uh, Silas Kiplegart, 347 miler, pretty proven commodity on the Diamond League stage, though a little bit on the backside of his career at the moment. Um, Elijah Manningoy, he's the world and Commonwealth champion at 1500. I would think he's got the title of world's greatest miler at the moment. Clayton Murphy ran 351 here last year at Pre uh, and might be rounding into form uh, with the Oregon Project. We'll see. Uh, he ran 145 in his last 800. Ayanli Suleiman, who has the meet record at 347 from 2014. And Samuel Tefera, who has no mile PB listed, but I'm sure he can run a good one given that he is the world indoor champion from Ethiopia. Which names there stand out to you guys? Who are you most excited to see? Well, I spent the afternoon listening to a Centroids podcast, so I'm excited to see Centroids. I mean, man and Goy, I mean, basically, who? I mean, who's not? Who's missing from this race? In terms yeah, of yeah, I, I was thinking. I mean, you know, Kiprop's <laughs> Kiprop was the guy I immediately thought of, but obviously, you know, he's not. I mean, I I'm, I am really pumped by Samuel Tafer. I want Ethiopia to have a star. I'm really high on him. Um, you've got man and Goy. I mean, Ingemberson, like that to me is worth the price of admission. I want to see that on web record go down. So 353, that's the race within the race. I mean, I, I think that's very doable for him and probably likely to happen, to be honest. Um, so I, I want to see the 353 go down. And I'm interested to see who wins this race. Um, I think Manningoy has to be the favorite, right? He won Commonwealth Gold, right? Um, yep. But Tefera is really good. Who won World Indoors? Tefera was... Tefera oh, won. So... Folks, we have our American privilege on this race. The people with the slowest PRs by far, Craig Angles, 357. Ben Blankenship, 353. Oh, Ingham Brazil, 356. Now that's high school privilege. Um, I mean, every there's only two guys in the field that have a PR over 355, right? One, two, over 353. So it, it, it's going to be pretty amazing. Now, looking at this list, there's never been an American to break 350. At pre, the best by an American actually is Centrowitz. He ran three fifty point five three here 
in 2014. Guess what place that got him? No one even paid attention to that. Well, that was a that was a really deep year. Um, I would guess that got him eighth place. Wow, John is so good, folks. That's why we pay him the big, big, big bucks. Exactly eighth place. Amazing, John. Are you? Maybe John's got the same printout that I do. No, but, I didn't. Um, I didn't pull it up. Um, but I was I was looking through the results of that meet earlier today because twenty six guys broke four minutes in the mile at that meet. Like last place in that race, I think. I think he, so the guy who ran like eleventh still ran like three fifty three. Last place was like three fifty five or something. It's just that was a ridiculous race. So to me, I really want to see how Centros is. Um, looking, they have the ten fastest Americans in the bottom of the mile. Centros leads the way at three fifty. Ben Blankenship is 10th, 353.04. So there's only been three Americans to break 351 in this race. Webb, Centrowitz, Legat, and Webb. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, do I think Centrowitz is, I'm optimistic for his season. I, I think that people were worried about those 800s. I, I think he had, he's like, look, I didn't race a lot. I'm not, I'm not young anymore. It takes me a while to get my speed back. I think he ran 337 in Australia several months ago. He just did well in Oxy. I think he's going to have a good season. Um, anyways, so I'm interested to see what he do. I don't think he's going to be ready to win this race. No, and I don't think he's ready to break 350. I hope I'm wrong on that. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Can Ingles and, and Murphy do well? I mean, Murphy's been struggling. Ingles said he didn't do well at altitude, but Ingles looked fine in the 800 last week. So, you know, there's just a lot of storylines there. How does the Ethiopian look? So uh, a lot to look at. Um, but what I was saying was, I don't know if Weldon – can queue up the audio if it's working because I think it was an iPhone and I see his computer. So I don't know if Weldon can get the clip I sent him. I spent the afternoon for some reason listening to a 2016 podcast, the Pacers podcast. I highly recommend it. I've been a guest on the show. Pacers running store in the Northern Virginia, DC area. Um, done by Julie Coley's husband is the host. And um, anyways, Matt, Matt Centerwood Sr. was the host in, in, in 2016. You can see it. it was right before the Olympics. It was a really interesting podcast because um, I was watching to it because I was trying to think of questions I want you, John, to to ask people when you're in Eugene at the press conference on Friday and then at the meet on Saturday. And obviously, I haven't really seen Sintrowitz talk about his take on Kiprop testing positive. What does he think about it? Blah, 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 blah. But I had heard that his dad had talked a lot about drugs in this podcast because I was on a podcast like the next person on the podcast in like September of 2016. But I never went back and listened to it. I finally did today. Almost two years to go back and listen to it. And it was fascinating. They started talking about drugs, and he was saying that Centro had a confidence in himself and put a lot of, he sort of like, the way his contract was structured, he had a lot of money riding on the fact that he would medal in the 2016 Olympics, which didn't happen. Uh, I mean, the 2012 Olympics, excuse me. And then his dad's like, yeah, you know, and his dad basically was like, there's probably two dopers ahead of him, implying like McCluffy definitely a doper, they thought, and then they were debating whether Igudu was a doper. But it was pretty strong language. Um, and then they kind of got sidetracked by the Jama. It was right after the Jama Aden raid. There was no talk of, of Kiprop, but at one point, this is also when the Russian thing was going on. They're like, "Well, what about the African runners? Do you, th- you know, do you think they could possibly be on drugs?" And Centro Senior was like, "Yes, of course." So, and then it's even more interesting. The host never asked them about, "Hey, what about your son being part of the Nike Oregon project?" And you know, there's been accusations about them. That was never asked, but it, it was very interesting because they asked Centro Senior. You know, like, how confident are you in that he's going to medal? This is before the 2016 Olympics. He's like, look, I'm really confident. He was fourth in 2012. He's a much better runner now, much better. 
He's working. Is that the clip you sent me, Robert? I think I got some 49 second clip you sent me. Yeah, this is it. When they ask him, um, they ask Centrowitz, I think you'll hear them ask him, hey, what do you think about Matthew Jr.'s chances of meddling at the Olympics in 2016? In the world's outdoors. So the one thing that you, we, 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 kind of talked about a little bit here was the fourth place at uh the olympics but the one thing left is meddling at the olympics correct uh so as his dad and someone who knows the sport is good or better than anybody out there what do you think the chances are as we get to here uh to rio next month uh one hand that's a, i think if you only missed by one one hundredth of a second i like this is much stronger you whipped the shit out of that guy that was there four years ago he's improved dramatically yep and uh, so I'm optimistic there. And the other part is you don't know, uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, with our bad stuff they call drugs, you don't know who's going to appear that we've never seen before. That's what's the unknown. Now, there's no. So there you have so it. That was you it. Know, you know, people get people get on us for sort of harping on drugs. And you have the father of an Olympic champion weeks before the Olympic Games start. And, you know, they're like, hey, we're in great shape. But somebody could show up. I mean, remember the um, the. Uh, the women that won the Olympics, where were they from? John Greece, Turkey, somewhere. Crazy. Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they normally showed up like a week or two. So you had an idea they're coming because he probably central senior probably could have been safe because generally they're going to have to run fast enough to get into the Olympics. So they have to, they have to pop a fast time, but you know, you never know if someone's going to be like McCluthy all of a sudden. So it is interesting. Central only missed the medal in 2012, but four hundredths, you know, stats said one hundredth, but. I didn't realize it was that close because everybody was so focused and excited about Leo getting silver. Yep, people forgot about it. And but if you listen to the podcast again, you can just type in um, it's Pacers Running Stores, Washington D.C. If you just type in Pacers Podcast, Matthew Centwood, you'll see it. Um, they have really high quality because you got to go in the studio to do it. So type in Pacers Podcast Centwood, and you'll go to runpacers.com/slash/pacers. But at one point during his segment, he said something like, you know, he thought Central was in, his son was in incredible shape. And he's like, you know, I think ultimately he will get the American record at either the 1500 or the mile. So that, that's sort of to me the, the, the big question I, I would like to see later for the year. That's one of the things I most want to see. Central doesn't need to be in amazing shape on May 26 or whatever the Saturday is going to be. He just needs to be in amazing shape you know, in, in, in basically three months. Um, and I think he's in good, good enough shape now that he can take a crack at, at potentially, you know, the American record in the 1500 of the mile. So that would be really exciting. That's one of the things I'm most looking forward to. And it was sort of interesting to hear, hear his dad, you know, talk about that. And that was two years ago. So, you know, so some interesting stuff there for sure. All right, guys, we've been on the show for an hour and a half almost few technical problems but anything else we need to hit before we sign off i mean we could talk about this meet for another hour it's so good but i think we've we've hit all the uh important oh, distance stuff for sure meat, at one point during the podcast they're talking about the drugs and basically it sounds like they were very suspicious of mcclufey and then maybe Ecuador. he's like yeah tom jordan who's the pre-confronting meat director Cinder's kind of he kind of casually says this but it kind of interrupt but it sounds like he says tom jordan so was so confident that that um, that one of these guys would be DQ'd for doping, that they were already planning the medal ceremony for Centrowitz at the pre-classic. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Crazy, that, you, know, you know, to hear this. And 
you know, it's weird. I, I think that if you're an NLP critic, to hear his dad, I mean, I guess you could say it's all a smoke screen, but to hear, hear his dad's, you know, worry about other dopers, clean themselves. So, anyways, it was it was classic Centrowitz. If you know him at all, he's he's quite a character. So, highly recommend the podcast, and you can I think they have it almost every week, so you can download it at runpatriots.com. But yeah, this meet could go on forever. Um, John will be there on site, folks, giving you the exclusive coverage that you have come to know and love. Um, we'll be trying to help him remotely. Well, then, do you have any comments, any predictions, any final takes? I don't know. I'm just staring at the Maryland Mile list and kind of remarking how Jacob Ingebrigtsen, you know, his PR is 356. You know, he's, he's nine seconds slower than some of these guys, and he's sort of the sensation so far of the outdoor campaign for the 1500 at least sort of north american getting a lot of attention i mean he's not north american but the race was here so it's just a tremendous rate meet you know like everything's stacked um it's not fair to me to actually get on i you know i got on drew hunter for only closing in what five or something if you compare that to like mc indoors which were the 357 race the final 400 was 54 there was a 350 race at Milrose one time when when Centrowitz ran a 54 and a 350 mile, but Ingebrigtsen, as good as he was, and he beat some really big names at Stanford. He only ran 339, so that's pretty equivalent to about 356. Does anyone remember what the final lap in that race was? How could it be that slow? I don't remember. I do remember he did win convincingly, though. You know, he definitely when he moved, mm-hmm. he got a good gap on everyone else. And who did he beat? Centro. Centro and Chalimo were two of the guys he beat. Yeah, which is much bigger than beating Willis and O'Hare. No offense. So, Final lap, fifty-five point two nine. So, and what what was um, Hunter's last lap, John? Hunter was fifty-five mid too. I think Hunter versus Ingebrigtsen will be a great matchup right now. Um, but Ingebrigtsen, if he wins, all right, he's not. Yeah, there's no way he's winning this race. Like, if he wins this race, we've got a legitimate, like, absolute wins the race. He's in the main race, John. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's not going to happen. We might have a Kiprop situation, John, if he wins his race. I, I guess. And Russell is going to be a little I forgot. He he ran last year. Remember, he ran the the big mile at home, and um, he ran Bislett. He won the Dream Mile last. No, they they made the Dream Mile an under twenty race. All oh, right, for him. One of my thoughts about pre. He'd have terrible tactics and still win. Sometimes he wouldn't win, but like it was a thing of beauty to watch in court. But I'm not personally buying his excuse. But I believed it. I just thought that was crazy. But I don't know. There'll be a sort of because none of these guys. That guy could just run the mile, man. Like his top end was just so unbelievable. These other guys can't do it, but it's sort of so there'll be a little bit of sadness, I think. Well, it's been cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. Kiprop was fun to watch, but if it's all sure odd, then hey, it's like Mary Decker saying, if you, if you test positive in my mind, I don't give a shit what you did. Whole career, in my opinion, is an asterisk next to it. So I, I said earlier that Ingebrigtsen, I expect him to bake Webb's 353, but I don't know now. I'm debating it. I mean, three. Because he beat Chalima and Centrowitz, so I was like, okay, yeah, he'll do it. But he's only run 356. Definitely think he'll break 355. I think 353 is a good goal. Over-under, I, I would put it there. I mean, he ran 358 in the mile last year, in the international mile. So it's interesting. But 
He's got great range. I mean, this guy last year ran everything from the steeple, 1335 in the 5,000 at age 16 to 840, 834 in the steeple. It's, it's crazy. So very exciting. Anyways, we've talked long enough, an hour and a half. For Jonathan Galt, for Weldon Johnson, this is Robert Johnson signing off. Thank you for joining us. Have fun. Enjoy pre. Talk about it on the message boards. Spread the words. Get your people, your friends to watch this meet. It's the only Diamond League U.S. meet, so we need good TV ratings. All right. Talk to you later.